On August 11, 1987, Lance Corporal Jason J. Rother joined the United States Marine Corps a little less than a month after turning 18. Lance Corporal Rother was a rifleman assigned to Kylo Company, 3D Battalion, 2D Marine Regiment, 2D Marine Division at Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and was taking part in desert warfare training at the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center in 29 Palms, California. On the evening of August 30, 1988, just over a year after joining the Marines, Lance Corporal Rother was dispatched by himself along an isolated and forsaken trail as a guard and guide. In an effort to lead the battalion's training exercises in the middle of the night, he was dispatched on the final evening of a three-day-long fire training drill. This night would have concluded the battalion's exercise compendium. It would not be until more than 40 hours later, from the time Lance Corporal Rother should have been picked up from his post. Yes, 40 hours had elapsed before anyone realized something was amiss. And it wasn't even the fact that Lance Corporal Rother was nowhere to be found. No, not that. It would be an armory weapons inventory that was conducted late into the evening of September 1st, 1988, that alerted anyone in command that something was wrong. Lance Corporal Rother's weapon was not accounted for. But... Where was Lance Corporal Rother? He was missing. A massive search for Lance Corporal Rother was immediately launched. 1,758 people participated in the search effort, and this included over 1,000 Marines on the ground searching on foot. They searched from the air. Officials from the California National Park Service joined in. The California Rescue Dog Association canines were brought in. Four Joshua Tree National Monument Park Rangers helped in the search. And they utilized infrared radar and thermal imaging technology. The expansive search lasted for three days. And then it was officially called off. Lance Corporal Jason Rother was presumed to be AWOL, or absent without leave, or he was dead. The first search, which lasted from September 1st through the 4th, uncovered a few items belonging to Lance Corporal Rother. Searchers found his pack, his helmet, his gas mask, and flak jacket. He had organized them neatly on the ground. And he had done something else. He arranged some stones in the formation of an arrow. It is presumed that it was pointing in the direction in which he was headed. Beyond that, no other sign of Lance Corporal Rother turned up on that initial search. A second search for the missing Marine was launched over a two-day period from November 4th to November 6, referred to as Desert Search. And the Marine Corps again 
this time had the assistance of the Joshua Tree National Park Service, as they would be most familiar with the surrounding area and the terrain. This second search uncovered more items belonging to the missing Lance Corporal, some pieces of military equipment, some ammunition, some of his personal items, some track impressions that he had left on the desert ground, and another arrow formation made with stones similar to the one that was found during the first search. And again, presumably, pointing in the direction in which he continued to be going. So I think we can all be fairly confident that Lance Corporal Rother had not gone AWOL. It looks as though he was doing everything he could to alert anyone looking for him where to find him. He was leaving breadcrumbs, but there was nothing found that could conclusively point to where Lance Corporal Rother was located. On December 4, 1988, while conducting a search and rescue exercise in the area, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Mountain and Desert Search and Rescue Team, along with several mounted units, discovered some skeletal remains approximately two miles away from the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center in 29 Palms. It was immediately obvious who these skeletal remains belonged to the no longer missing Lance Corporal Jason Rother. With the skeleton, there were weapons, a rifle, and a grenade launcher, magazines with ammunition, camouflage utilities, 782 gear, which are the items he was to have with him while out in the field, three one-quart canteens, a utility jacket, boots, socks, his wallet, which had his identification in it, his military ID card, his poncho, and a t-shirt. He had hiked 17 miles from where he was left posted. He died of dehydration, lack of water, and exposure to the harsh desert temperatures of California's Mojave Desert, where the temperature around the time he went missing ranged from anywhere from 102 degrees to 107 degrees Fahrenheit, or 38.8 to 41.6 degrees Celsius, and that's on the low end. And utterly, the most heartbreaking part of Lance Corporal Rother's death is that he was only two miles away from being able to save his own life. From where his remains were discovered, from his vantage point, U.S. Highway 66 was clearly visible. But he was done. His body was finished. He was survived by his father, Jeff Rother, his mother, Cecilia King, his younger brother, Robert, and his fiancée, Amy. So how could something like this happen? How did those in charge allow for one of their own to be abandoned, forgotten, and left to die alone in a desert like this? 
Like many of the stories we discuss, when you work your way backwards, you usually come to find a chain of events when examined one at a time turn out to be a series of egregious failures. Of course, there was a lengthy and comprehensive investigation into Lance Corporal Rother's death, as there very well should have been. He had joined this unit on July 10th, 1988, and arrived in 29 Palms on August 17th for combined arms exercise trainings. However, Lance Corporal Rother had been struggling with a number of health ailments upon his arrival, and he had been receiving treatment for them, including some lower back pain, he had had an infection, dehydration, and heat exhaustion. On August 22nd, he was prescribed Motrin, and on August 29th, he was given aspirin. Because of his struggles with heat exhaustion and dehydration, he was assigned to that road guard and guide assignment I mentioned that he was dispatched to on August 30th. His battalion had been pressed nearly to their limits. They had been training hard. Despite the very high desert temperatures, they pushed on. On that faithful night of August 30th, the battalion was commanded to complete a 21-mile or 33.8-kilometer motorized march through a mountain pass without lights. This was the last of their three-day live fire exercises. And live fire exercises are any military exercise in which realistic scenarios are presented and specific equipment is demonstrated during the training. Lance Corporal Rother's squad leader, Sergeant Thomas B. Turnell, had reported to his platoon commander, First Lieutenant Christopher Johnson, earlier in the day on August 30th, that they did not have enough water for a full day of training exercises. In addition to that, a U.S. Navy medic cautioned First Lieutenant Johnson that the men were dehydrated and advised against continuing on in this training exercise without resupplying his men with water and adequate hydration. Every Marine carried three one-quart canteens, and the training continued on, despite these warnings. Now granted, Lance Corporal Rother died of dehydration and exposure, but I can't say it was necessarily because those in charge pushed forward with this final day of training exercises despite warnings to either resupply water or halt the exercises. He died of dehydration and exposure because he was left behind when everyone else went back to base without him. Lance Corporal Rother would have typically been assigned to 1st Squad 2D Platoon, but his platoon commander chose him for the road guard and guide duty with the battalion because he needed to be on lighter duty as a result of his health ailments. So he was technically transferred to the battalion's road guard and guide officer in charge, 1st Lieutenant Alan V. Lawson. It was the duty of 1st Lieutenant Lawson to assign the road guards and guides for the battalion's night movement exercise through that mountain pass, 
and he was ordered to place the marine guards and guides in pairs. But he did not do that. Instead, he posted Lance Corporal Rother and another Lance Corporal, Donald A. Key, by themselves. So when Lance Corporal Rother's squad leader Sergeant Turnell asked platoon leader Sergeant Christopher P. Clyde as to when he would see Lance Corporal Rother back from training, his response was, when Lawson was good and ready. While the road guard and guide posting was being done, Lance Corporal J.J. Adamson took it upon himself to remind First Lieutenant Lawson about the policy that they be posted in pairs, not by themselves. First Lieutenant Lawson's response to that was, I'm the lieutenant and you're the Lance Corporal. It wasn't too long after that, Lance Corporal Key, who was the other road guard and guide placed by himself out there that night, also reminded First Lieutenant Lawson of the two-man pairing policy. And to that, First Lieutenant Lawson replied, I know what I'm doing. In the end, Lance Corporal Rother was left alone. He had a minimal amount of water. He had no map. He had no compass. He was carrying an 80-pound pack along with his weapons and ammunition. And according to the weather reports in the area, some of the days following him being left out there, the daily high temperatures peaked at 120 degrees Fahrenheit, or 48.8 degrees Celsius. On the morning of August 31, 1988, the three-day training exercise was over. All of the road guards and guides were picked up. All of them, except for Lance Corporal Jason Rother. The investigation into this incident indicated that because the exercise that night was blacked out, that this caused the units who were maneuvering through the desert to unknowingly cross paths with one another. 1st Battalion, 10th Marine Regiment was also participating in the same exercise that night. And this led to the confusion when it came to accountability for their men. There was not a clear and present plan when it came to picking up the road guides and guards. The other road guide and guard posted by himself that night, Lance Corporal Key, he saw Lance Corporal Rother and his chem light which is like a glow stick. He saw him from where he was positioned, and he naturally assumed that he was going to be picked up too, just as he had been along with two other road guards and guides from the 1st Battalion, 10th Marine Regiment. So this is what essentially happened. Lance Corporal Rother's company assumed that he was picked up by 1st Battalion, 10th Regiment, yet it was not clear if it was their duty to do so as he was not a part of their company. They both assumed the other had picked him up when neither one did. And later on that evening, several officers from Lance Corporal Rother's company went out together for drinks that night. They were celebrating the birth of First Lieutenant Johnson's daughter. And his squad leader, Sergeant Turnell, 
went off base to visit relatives. On the morning of September 1st, Lance Corporal Rother's company had an all-hands formation where the platoon sergeants reported all present. How was that possible? I have no idea. I sure as heck would expect more from our military leaders, but anyway, he was overlooked somehow. It wasn't until later on that afternoon, around 5.30 p.m., that a weapons inventory was conducted and Lance Corporal Rother's weapon was not accounted for. Then it dawned on them that they actually hadn't seen the guy for nearly two days. 29th Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Alfred M. Gray, Jr., ordered an investigation into Lance Corporal Rother's death. In a scathing report written in regards to the investigating officer's findings, General Gray stated, Rother's death was not an accident, but the result of malfeasance. The American people will not nor should they accept our maiming and killing of their sons and daughters in so-called training accidents, and neither will I. The report was released by the Marine Corps headquarters in January of 1989. It placed the blame for Lance Corporal Rother's death squarely on poor planning and a complete and total breakdown in the chain of command. General Gray stated, The conduct of Rother's commanders contradicts every principle of concerned leadership on which we, the Marines, have traditionally prided ourselves. He further said that the battalion commanders and executive officers should be held accountable for his death. And this was the fallout as a result of Lance Corporal Jason Rother's death. Battalion Commander Lieutenant Colonel Edward J. Robeson IV was relieved of his command and he subsequently retired. Battalion Executive Officer Major Tony L. Holm was relieved of his duties. Company Commander Captain Michael R. Henderson was relieved of command and reprimanded. Platoon Commander First Lieutenant Christopher Johnson was relieved of duties and reprimanded. Officer in charge of the Road Guard Task First Lieutenant Alan Lawson was court-martialed and charged with disobeying orders, dereliction of duty, and conduct unbecoming of an officer. Platoon Sergeant Christopher P. Clyde was court-martialed and charged with disobeying an order and dereliction of duty. And finally, his squad leader, Sergeant Thomas B. Turnell, was court-martialed and charged with dereliction of duty, disobeying orders, and unauthorized absence. During the court-martials, it was discovered that First Lieutenant Lawson had four DUI convictions and had previously tried to resign his commission but was denied. He was found guilty and sentenced to discharge and four months in confinement in the brig, which is military speak for four months in jail. 
Sergeants Turnell and Clyde were both found guilty, demoted to lance corporals, which effectively ended their careers with the Marine Corps. The lessons learned from the story of Lance Corporal Jason Rother still resonate through the United States Marine Corps to this day. It is a lesson of personal accountability, and it is not only worthy to talk about him as a military lesson, but as a life lesson. There was not going to be any passing of the buck or deflecting blame when it came to all the failures that led to the death of Jason Rother. Every level of command was responsible for this, and every level had a price to pay. Lance Corporal Rother did his job to the very end. He took charge of his duties out there that night, and in the days that followed, however long he survived, he never quit. He didn't quit when he was abandoned out there. He didn't quit because nobody ever came to relieve him of his duties. He, out of all the individuals at every level of command that failed him, he would be the only one who demonstrated the highest standard set for a member of the United States Marine Corps when it comes to personal accountability. And to think the idea was floated that he may have gone AWOL is just so sad. When he walked, he left his gear behind militaristically neat and orderly. He kept his weapons with him. He traversed the desert for 17 miles attempting to locate his unit, and he died just short of finding them. And his story was relevant then, it's relevant now, and it should remain so forever. I'll close this with the words of General Gray. Wasting lives through carelessness, thoughtlessness, our conscious disregard of the principles which have guided our Corps through its history cannot be tolerated. In peacetime, we must include safety as an integral part of our training. To do less is to break faith with those who have entrusted their Marine Corps to our stewardship. Thank you for allowing me to share Lance Corporal Jason Rother's story with you on this Memorial Day. For all of my dreamers who are from other countries, we here in the United States take this day, the last Monday of May, to remember those who gave their lives serving in our armed forces. Thank you to all of you who have served and sacrificed for this country. And thank you for joining me for this bonus episode of California Dreaming. Until next time, sweet dreams.